The following audio is from Life Journey Church. More information about Life Journey Church is available at www.lifejourneyva.com. Here is a great way to summarize the first 10 chapters of, of, of Hebrews. Every unrighteous act of mine has been consumed by one righteous act on the cross for all time. Every unrighteous act of mine, and I've got plenty, and so do you, have been consumed by one righteous act on the cross for all times. And when Hebrews says every unrighteous act, it, it, it means every unrighteous act. Every last one has been consumed by this one act for all time. And this one righteous act on the cross, it was the death of Jesus. He actually inaugurated a brand new system of how God relates to man. You see, there was a system that was in place before the cross, and there's a whole other system now after the cross. And the biblical term for this system of how God relates to man is this biblical term called covenant. So there's a covenant before the cross, and now there's a whole different covenant on this side of the cross. The first covenant was a shadow of the better covenant that would come later once Jesus died. The first covenant was a constant reminder of sins that always stood in the way between people and God. But the second covenant, the one we're in today, is not a constant reminder of sins. So if you leave ever from life journey with a reminder of just how much sin stands between you and God, if you're a believer, then we're not preaching the new covenant. We're preaching the old covenant. The new covenant is a constant reminder that all of our sin has been put away from our record once and for all. We are forgiven. We're a for, we are a forgiven people. There's no more sacrifices in the new covenant because Jesus' one single sacrifice took away our sin. Because of Jesus' work, we're now able to actually access the very throne room of heaven. We're now able to enter into the holy of holies, to the very dwelling place of God himself. All who place their trust in Jesus, when we enter, for me in 1993, at the age of 13, whenever you started trusting in Jesus, you find rest. You find joy, peace, satisfaction. And above all of it, we find intimacy with the very God of the universe. And so today marks the first section, the first few verses of the second section of Hebrews, which basically answers the question, okay, that's all great, that's all awesome, but now what? But now what? What do we do with this? It's wonderful that we have this, but what do we, what do, we do with it? And so that's how we make that turn today, starting verse 19. One of the most frustrating things in my day-to-day -day life is, is realizing that I've been looking for something that I actually had already. Um, I have a pretty good mind. You know, I, I'm not super organized if, if you were to, you know, look at my life. But, but I have a pretty good mind. I can put my hands on stuff that I need to of my own, and, and I can recall where I've placed this or put that. And so I, I have a pretty good mind. I think I understand, you know, where I've got stuff. So, but I'm not super organized. You probably can't find it right? But I, but I think I know where it is. Except for when, you know, April asked me to get something out of the fridge, 
right? She asked me, hey, can you go get this out of the fridge? And I open the doors and I just stand there and every ounce of mental acuity just like drains from me. And I'm opening the door, just standing there staring like into this emptiness. And all of a sudden I hear, hey, it's in the door. Look at the door. (laughs) Top shelf. It's red and it has a big tomato on it. And I, I find it. I pull it out. And I strut around the kitchen like Columbus or something, you know, that I discovered, you know, the lost world, right? So, so except for those instances, I have a pretty good mind. I, pretty, I, I understand, you know, where I've put things, where I've placed them, and I'm able to recall them pretty easily. But one of the most humiliating examples of where I've been searched for something when I have already have it is with my phone. So I tell you no lie. I will be talking to one of you on the phone. We're talking, we're chit-chatting, we're figuring out some stuff, we're making arrangements. And then I realize, you know what, I've got to check an email because in that email it tells us what you know, to do about this because we would email somebody else. And so I look for my phone to access my email so I could read the email to the person that I'm talking to on the phone. And so I look around my office, I look under the papers, I'm like, where did I put that thing? And then I go through the house maybe, and I'm like, under the bed, I'm like, where is my phone? Surely I'm not the only one that's done that, right? It might not be a phone for you, but it's probably your car keys. How many of you have searched and searched and searched your house for your car keys to find out that they were in your purse that was strapped to your arm, right? I mean, yeah, let's just be honest. We've all done this. We've all searched for things only to find out that we already had them the whole time. We've all started in this movie, whether it's looking for your cell phone while you're talking on it. Don't judge me. You've done it. Or you're searching for your car keys when they're in your pocket the whole time. We've all been there. I remember one time that we tore the house upside down, not literally, uh, looking for our dog because we had to get him out on the leash because we were running late to go somewhere. We're looking under every bed. He likes to hide sometimes, really like a cat sometimes. We, we, we look, we look, we look, we look, and we're like, where is this dog? Yeah. And, uh, and then we start hearing a barking. And we're like, hey, do you hear him? I think I hear him. He's barking. We go to find out that he's on the leash outside barking at somebody. We'd already put him on the leash, but we had forgotten. It's moments like this that we start to google you know early signs of mental illness or something so what is that thought for you when you start to realize that you have spent 15 30 minutes looking for something that you already have looking for something you already have the frustration humiliation Whatever the emotions in the mix is this frustration of, I cannot believe that I just spent time looking for something that I already have. One of the simplest ways to describe the Old Covenant is this, and I don't know if it made it on the screen or not, but it's this. In the Old Covenant, this is in your Bible notes, in the Old Covenant, now we're talking about the covenant before the cross. In the Old Covenant, there was a constant searching for forgiveness, for holiness, and for intimacy with God. In the Old Covenant, forgiveness was not actual, and so they were always looking for it by bulls and goats. 
Holiness, it was impossible. Intimacy, a pipe dream. They were always searching and looking and longing. Uh, I love the band, like most of you probably do too, uh, you too. You know that song, you know, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, right? That would be a perfect anthem for the Old Testament Jew. Searching and searching and searching for something that they just cannot find. But we've got to see that in the new covenant, that's not the same anymore. We have been given these things, intimacy, forgiveness, and holiness. We've been given these things. They're now ours in this new covenant. We have them now. Forgiveness, it's real. It's now. Jesus came, as we saw in chapter 9, to put away sin. If you believe in Jesus, forgiveness is yours. It's complete. You are a forgiven person. Holiness, yeah, that too. It's real. It's now. We just saw last week in the crescendo of the gospel that we have been made holy if we Believe in Jesus. Holiness isn't a progressive journey, but it's a station. It's a a person. Now, sure, we don't always behave as though we're holy, but it doesn't change the fact that we are. Intimacy with God used to be a pipe dream, something they searched and searched and searched. And one man, one time a year, could enter into the holiest of holies. But today in the new covenant, intimacy with God is as real as the nose on your face. In fact, It's more real than the nose on your face because one day the nose on your face will no longer be there. But your intimacy with God will never, ever change because of what he has done. So here's what I'm getting at. It seems to me that much of our Christian life is lived from a place of searching for forgiveness, of searching for holiness, of searching for intimacy with God. And I think we operate more like Old Testament Jews, Old Covenant Jews, than we do New Covenant saints. We buy into this thinking that we've got to search our heart and search our lives for sin in order to gain forgiveness for those sins. We fear things we call hidden sins or closet sins because we think that those are the ones that are not yet forgiven. We orient ourselves into a passion of a pursuit of holiness with a thinking that as our behavior improves, our holiness improves. And then as our holiness improves or, 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 or decreases, increases and decreases, well, then we think our intimacy with God increases and decreases. When we feel good about ourselves, well, that's when we feel good about our intimacy with God. We feel like we're intimate, but when we don't feel good about ourselves, then we say, say, well, then surely we're not intimate with God. So please listen to this. We've developed a system where intimacy with God is determined by how we feel about ourselves. I'm going to repeat that. We've developed a system where our intimacy with God is determined by how we feel about ourselves. It's pretty narcissistic, don't you think? How I feel about myself determines what Jesus has actually done for me? What is the truth of the gospel? Look, I'm sick and tired of feelings. I don't know about you, but my feelings are all over the map. If it's Tuesday, ask me what my feelings are, and I'll tell you. Well, Wednesday, they're probably totally different 
Then comes Saturday night after bath night with three kids, getting them all through the tub. You ask my feelings then, and you know, you might not come back on Sunday. My feelings, they're all over the place. What's the truth? What's the anchor? What's the reality? Like a cell phone or car keys, is it possible that we are searching for things we already have? I'm really glad you asked that question. Because Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19, is going to answer this for us. What do we already have? And now we can operate from this. I'm going to do something different today. I'm actually going to read the the whole text. Usually we don't do that. And then we're going to go back to the top and work through it like we normally do. But here's what I want you to see. The reason we're going to do this is a little bit different is because of the construction of these few verses. What we're going to see is several since we have, then we'll see, therefore, let us. Since we have, now let us. And we'll see that the lettuces are all fueled by the since we haves. But I bet most of us haven't come, myself included, to a, to a, a conviction of what we actually have. Most of us, myself included for years, are still searching, longing for what the Scripture says we already have. And so we can't let us successfully until we have come to a conclusion that we have. So starting in verse 19, you'll see what I'm talking about as we read through it. Starting in verse 19, therefore, this is chapter 10 of Hebrews, brethren, therefore, since we have, okay, you see this? Now what do we have? Confidence. Your translation might say boldness. To enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, since we have those, now look at verse 22, let us draw near with sincere hearts and full assurance of faith. Having, we're back over here in the having category, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Since we have, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised, this is what we have, is faithful. Verse 24, and let us consider, let us, because of what we have, let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. So there's several since we haves that we'll walk through very quickly, and then there's several lettuces. The since we have summarized basically the first 10 chapters. And the author of Hebrews, whoever it is, he is saying, or she is saying, whoever wrote it, they're saying that the since we haves fuel the lettuces. So what do we have? What is it we have? And it may surprise you today that some of the things you already have in Christ, you've spent your life, your Christian life, searching for. And I hope today is a day where you stop searching for something you already have. So let's rewind verse 19, and we'll just walk through it very slowly like we normally do. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence, this word confidence means boldness, since we have boldness to enter into the 
holy place, the very presence of God by the blood of Jesus and by the new living way in which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. So what Hebrews is saying is that we have confidence to enter into the very presence of God. Could you imagine a first century Jew 2,000 years ago reading that? Uh, They'd say, we have confidence to do what? I mean, remember, one person one time a year. Who, the high, who has to be the high priest would enter into the Holy of Holies. And, and Hebrews is saying, we all who are in Christ, we all have confidence to enter. Unfortunately, I used to question this myself from the majority of my life. I used to look at, for this confidence that Hebrews says we now have. This word confidence, as I've already said, it means boldness. Look, in my life, 35 years, I've had boldness to do a lot of things, but, but boldness to actually enter into the very presence of the God of the universe? I have boldness? Do I? Well, God says that I do. God says that you do, that we do. We who believe in Jesus, we have boldness. I mean, can you imagine this? Boldness to enter into God's presence? Boldness to see him face to face? If I were to take a poll, a silent poll, what's it called? A, 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 where you don't know, anonymous poll, you know, str- yeah, some straw poll, whatever. If, we, I was, I, if I was to take a poll, whatever it's called, and ask each of us by secret ballot, that's the word I was thinking about, secret ballot, and ask the question, how bold are you to stand in the presence of God? I would guess that the overwhelming majority of us would say, boldness? I don't have any boldness. I have no boldness at all to stand before God. But yet Hebrews says we have boldness. So so is this humility or is this pride? Scripture says we have boldness to enter into the presence of God. Yet we say we don't. Humility or pride. Humility would say, okay, okay, look, I don't exactly understand how because, I mean, look at what I did, but I trust. I trust you. Pride says, no way. No way. I obviously know something God doesn't know. So I don't think it's humility to say, no, no, no. I don't have boldness when Scripture says you do because of what Jesus has done. In the Old Covenant, okay, so we're back over here in the Old Covenant, David, remember King David in the Psalms, he says, one thing I've asked of the Lord, one thing I seek, listen to this, one thing, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and meditate in his temple. What Hebrews is saying is that in the New Covenant, we have the very thing that David says he longed for. David could never have entered in, but today we have boldness to enter in. Now, how in the world do we have boldness? What in the world have we ever done to give ourselves boldness to enter in the very presence of God? Well, nothing. So how could this be? Well, let's keep reading. We have boldness to enter the holy place where the very presence of God is by the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Jesus. I wonder we can ever value the blood of Jesus to the point that God values it. You see, God values it so much that it's more than enough to take away all of our sins. But from our perspective, our sins are greater than the blood of Jesus. But what would happen if we started to see the blood as valuable 
and as potent as our Father sees it. Here's my suggestion. Here's my, my thought. If we do, if we or when we see the blood of Jesus as valuable as God sees it, then we would gladly enter his presence with boldness and not fear. This is in the Bible app there, little notes here that I want, I want you to take home. But it says, the measure of our boldness, so here's the measure of our boldness, the measure of our boldness to enter God's throne room equals or it's proportionate to the measure of our trust in the blood of Jesus. So however much we trust the blood of Jesus, that's the, the, the amount, that's the measure of our boldness to enter into the throne of, of God. If we're living in fear of His presence, then we're living unsure about His blood. Our confidence comes from the blood. So remember that it's, our boldness isn't in our apologies, but it's in the blood that took away our sins. The Father's heart is that we would dwell before Him and be confident before Him because of the blood without any fear. Trusting God means we are trusting that the blood actually worked. Did the death of Jesus actually take away your sins? If it did, if you believe it did, and you have a high confidence in the blood of Jesus, then you have high confidence to stand in the presence of God. But if we say, no, 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 I don't have any confidence to stand in the presence of God, then what we're saying is I don't have much confidence in what he's done. So we have confidence to enter by the blood of Jesus. But it also says we have this confidence by a new and living way in which he inaugurated us through the veil that is his flesh. This is talking about the new covenant, this covenant that Jesus inaugurated with his death. And it's really cool, this this word new where it says by a new and living way, that word new literally means freshly slaughtered. And so this is really neat for me in in this irony of a freshly slaughtered yet living way. I think that's cool. I think that's an accident. Dead yet alive. The flesh of Jesus died in order to reveal a resurrection into a new living way. You see, when we begin trusting in Jesus, we are placed into his death. This means that we died, not not physically, but our human spirit that we were born with has died. And just as Jesus was raised to new life, a whole new creation, Paul calls it, a whole new heart, Ezekiel calls it, a whole new spirit is raised, who is what you are now, a whole new life. So we have boldness, we have confidence to dwell in the presence of God because our old sin-stained man is dead and gone when we started trusting in Jesus. We now have a new way, a new life, Christ himself. So what do we have? Did you know that you have this? We have boldness. Boldness isn't something that we work up to. We have it now by the blood of Jesus and by this new covenant. But we have even more. Hurrying on to verse 21, it says, we have a great high priest over the house of God. And if you just read this 
quickly we think to ourselves, okay, what's the big deal to us, you know, 2015, that Jesus is the priest over the house of God? When we think of the house of God, we might think of some sort of far-off, other-world sort of place, you know, that we think of heaven. Some of us, when we think of the house of God, we think of a building, you know, where we spend some hours on a Sunday morning. But what is it that that God thinks of when he says the house of God, that Jesus is the high priest over? Well, just a few chapters before, in chapter 3, verse 6, Hebrews says, Christ was faithful as a son over God's house, whose house, listen, we are. We are. We are the house of God that Jesus is this high priest over. So this is much more personal than some sort of far off world or some sort of building that we walk into on a Sunday morning. Right now, we have a great high priest over us. We've got to remember something that's very unique about this high priest. Is he sitting or is he standing? Participation time. Sitting, he's sitting, yeah, he's sitting. Jesus, is he sitting? Is our high priest sitting or is he standing? He's sitting. We've seen this all throughout Hebrews. He's sitting. He's sitting because his work is complete. So here's a question I have for you. Do you know that you have a high priest right now who, even when you sin, remains seated? Wow. Even when you get dumb on a Saturday night after bath night, you You've been there. He remains seated. Why? Because some 2,000 years ago, he even took that away. We have a high priest that remains seated. Next time you sin, trophy it's not right now, but next time you sin, ask this question to yourself. Is my high priest sitting or is he standing? Oh, he's still seated? And he is because he's already put away all. Our sin. So we're not only confident in what he did, the shed blood, the new covenant he inaugurated, but we have confidence in who he is, our high priest who remains seated even when we sin. So since we have all this confidence, now we get to our first let us. We have all this. Now let us, verse 22, draw near. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Having, now we're back into the having category, hearts sprinkled, from, sprinkled clean from an evil conscience with our bodies washed with pure water. So we have new hearts, true hearts. We're full of faith in the person and the work of Jesus. And we are now fully admitted into the very presence, the very dwelling of God. And I love how our faith is never in ourselves. It's never in what we've done, but always in what Jesus has done. We now have hearts that have been sprinkled clean we have, from an evil conscience. We've talked a lot about the conscience the last couple of weeks. We won't have time to get into it now. But we've had bodies that have been washed pure with water. Remember, in the Old Covenant, the high priest, one time of year, he would go into the Holy of Holies. He would go into the very presence of God, one man, one time a year, for the whole nation. And before he would enter, the Scripture says in the Old Testament that he would wash his body with water. And then he would slaughter an animal and he would sprinkle himself with the blood of that animal in order to enter the presence that one time. But that washing and that sprinkling was just a one-time deal. As soon as he entered and he left, he had to do it again the next time. More washing and more sprinkling of blood. It was a 
Wash, sprinkle, repeat. Wash, sprinkle, repeat. Wash, sprinkle, repeat. But in the new covenant, Hebrews is saying that we have been sprinkled once by the blood of Jesus and it lasts forever. Our bodies have been washed once and it lasts forever. We talk sometimes, we get into a little uh, subculture in our church, the uh, grammar Greeks. If there's any grammar Greeks out there, geeks, grammar geeks, well, grammar Greek geeks. Here, here's, here's something that, we'll, that we can all geek out on for a second. See where it says having our hearts sprinkled clean? That word sprinkled, it's a participle. But it, it's the tense of it. We're familiar with like present tense, future tense, past tense. The tense of this verb, this participle, is perfect tense. And what does that mean? Okay, that's cool. Well, you're showing us what you know. No, I really have more that I don't know than what I do know. Uh, trust me. But, but what it means is this sprinkling happened once, and the result of it happened remains today and you know when tomorrow hits the results of that one sprinkling are current tomorrow it's perfect tense the word there uh washed with pure water our bodies washed with pure water guess what same deal it's a perfect participle meaning our bodies were washed once and that washing that cleansing remains until today and then when tomorrow becomes today, it's then as well. It's a perfect tense participle. So we have hearts that were sprinkled once by the blood of Jesus. Again, for me, it was in 1993 when I first started trusting in Jesus. And once was enough to last forever. We have bodies that were washed once with pure water. And once was enough to last forever. Going back to David in the Old Covenant in Psalm 24, David says, who can ascend into the hill of the Lord? Who, who can, can stand in the presence of his holy place? You know what the answer is? He says, those who have clean hands and a pure heart. The very thing that the law and the most demanding religions can never do, Jesus has done once and for all. He has given us clean hands clean body by the one washing and now pure hearts by his one sprinkling of his blood so why would god do this why would he give us clean hands and a pure heart that no matter how much sinning we do we can never defile it so that we can stand with confidence in his presence in his holy place so we have this confidence based solely on the blood of Jesus and the covenant that we're now in. And since we have such a great high priest who's over us, who never sits, I mean, never stands, he's always sitting. Since we have clean hands and a pure heart, let us dwell. Let us rest in the presence of God. And now here's our next lettuce, the whole lettuce salad. Here's our next lettuce. I think it's verse 24. Let us Hold fast, no, 23, sorry. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. So God promised this new covenant to himself. Then as we saw back in chapter seven, he swore an oath to himself on top of the promise. And so our hope is in the faithfulness of God. So we have another we have here. We have the most faithful promise keeper ever our faith doesn't need to waver because of the one who promised these things he never wavers think of it this way you will have grounds to waver in your faith about the reality of this the very day that god wavers in his promise 
And what do we know about God when it comes to lying? He cannot lie. He cannot lie. His promise will never waver. Therefore, our faith never needs to waver. It's not our faith in what we do. It's our faith in what He's done and what He's promised. And it's kind of like when I carry Drake around. You know, he's, he's old enough to walk, but he likes to be carried. And when I'm holding him, every time I carry him, I realize that he's like holding on to me. He doesn't need to, but he is because he feels connected to me when he wraps his legs around me and he grabs onto my shirt. Just like that, we hold on to him because he is holding on to us. And here's our last lettuce. We've got all these lettuces that are all fueled by the sense we have. And this is, the, I think, one of the coolest ones so far. He says, verse 24, let us consider or let us brainstorm, let us, let us think, let's come up with a plan on how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembly together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Good deeds it's not a dirty word good deeds is not a dirty word but we have to see that good deeds is in the lettuce category because of what we already have so many myself included for years thought that good deeds doing good deeds ensured that i was getting more things whether it was forgiveness whether it was holiness whether it was intimacy or maybe even it was just like a better spot in heaven I didn't like that row. I wanted to sit a little bit closer to the stage. So I'll do some more good deeds to get a better place in heaven. But what Hebrews is saying is that good deeds, including love towards one another, is a result. It's a byproduct of what we already have. We have confidence. We have permanent access to the throne room of God. We have clean hearts. We have clean bodies. We have a great high priest. We have everything that we could ever long for and need in order to be joined to God himself. Therefore, because of what we have, now let us live this new covenant life. Let us think of ways to stimulate others to love and to do good. Let us stimulate ourselves even if needs be and others to love. So how do we do this? How do we stimulate others to love and to do good? How do we? How do we? Well, let's brainstorm. That's what it means. Let us consider. Let's think of ways to stimulate others. Well, how does Hebrews do it? How does the author of Hebrews stimulate love and good works? Well, he just spent 10 chapters talking about what we have. He spends 10 chapters talking about about what we have. Does Hebrews list out a list of how to love? Does Hebrews list out a list of what good deeds need to get done today? No. Hebrews has stimulated love and good deeds in all of us that have been going through this by spending 10 chapters waxing eloquently about what we now have because of what Jesus has done once and for all. So so here's Here's an idea. We're brainstorming on how to stimulate others to love. Here's an idea. Here, and it's in your Bible notes. Remember how we said our confidence to enter is proportionate to our confidence in the blood? Just as our confidence in the presence of God is tied to our confidence in Jesus, in that same way, our desire to love, our desire to do good is tied to our understanding of what we already 
have. But we already have. The more we rest in what we already have been given, the more we are stimulated to love and do good. I mean, let's face it, that's backwards, isn't it? It seems backwards to our normal thinking. Our normal thinking is that, well, I need to love and I need to do good in order to get more from God. But the truth of Scripture is just the opposite. Love and good works are stimulated by the revelation of what we already have in Christ. And this is the whole point of us coming together. It says, don't forsake coming together. This is the whole point of us coming together, whether it's on Sunday morning or whether it's in our groups, whether it's coffee at, at, at Mudhouse or, or just in the front lawn of your neighbors. This is why we come together to be reminded of what we have in Christ. This is what stimulates love. Remembering what he's done for us stimulates Good work. Let me ask you, does fear stimulate love? No. God's total and complete acceptance of you now and forever stimulates love. Does terror of pending judgment stimulate love? It might modify a behavior, but does it stimulate love? No. But God's freely granted access to himself stimulates love so if you want to stimulate love and good works in your own life and who doesn't then you need a greater revelation of what you already have since we have now let us you have complete forgiveness you have permanent holiness you have actual intimacy with the god of the universe now and forever Think about it. Think about it. Your entrance into the Holy of Holies, that is, into the very presence of God, was accomplished by the most selfless act in all of human history. How in the world can we enter, because of the most selfless act in all of human history, how can we now enter and think only of ourselves? The byproduct of resting in the presence of God himself is selflessness, not selfishness. As our works-driven minds are being renewed to the once and for all reality of Jesus' finished work, we can't help but love and do good. We talk about the cart and the horse. You've got a cart here called behavior, and you've got a horse here called the finished work of Jesus, Christ, you, Christ in you, you in him. We talk about the cart and the horse. The good works, they're in the cart. They're important. They're in the cart. But the, but the cart is only stimulated, it's only moved when the horse, which is Jesus in the finished work, Christ in you, is given attention for what it really is. You see, a lack of love, if you, if you see a lack of love in your life, if you see a lack of things that we would call good in your life or the life of someone else, the solution is not to try to love harder and to commit to doing better. You'd never go to the cart and say, you know, if I rearrange this here and, and put this on the top and this on the bottom, if I rearrange the cart, then I'll get the cart from point A to point B. We wouldn't do that. That's silly. You get the cart where it needs to go by tending where? To the horse. 
And the same is true for us. If we see someone, ourselves included, struggling with love or any sort of good work, the only way to stimulate love and good works is by reminding them of what is, of what you have, of what Christ has done. Not by focusing on trying harder to do better. That doesn't work. And this is why it's so important for us to come together. Whether it's on Sundays or in groups or very casual, we come together to encourage others with what we already have. We don't come together to log hours in a building, but we come together to encourage each other to believe, to receive, to rest in what we already have, which is Christ, so that we can stop searching for the very thing we already have have we have confident boldness we have intimacy we have forgiveness we have union we have oneness with god we have been made holy we saw that last week we have clean hands we have pure hearts we have a high priest that never stands up even when we sin we have been made perfect by the desire of God. Not that we live it. I just hear Hebrews saying, look at what we have. Now let us live what we already have. But we forget what we have. We forget what we're holding in our hands. And we're spending time searching through the office, under the bed, for something that we've been holding since we first started trusting in Jesus. If you came into the office and I'm holding my phone and I'm looking for my phone, I would want you to say, hey, bud, <laughs> uh, you're holding it. To which I would say, oh, dang it. <laughs> if you walk in the house and Tucker's on the leash and you say, what are you guys doing tearing your house up? Said, We're looking for the dog. We can't find him. And you say, well, you've already put him on the leash. I would want you to tell me that. That's why we come together. We come together so that when we forget and we forget all the time when we get into those ruts of searching for forgiveness of of hunting for holiness of longing for intimacy we come together to be reminded hey you have that look at what he's done we don't come together to browbeat and say just do this and you'll be this we come together to be reminded of what we have you already have it because of what Jesus has done. Our journey marker today, and if you're new with us, this is just, okay, let's try to put all this together one little thought. When we see what we already have, we can't help but share what we already have. And that's exactly what you prayed a little bit ago, Angie. When we see what we already have, we can't help but share what we already have have our band's going to come up and we're going to close out this morning in a song just entitled uh, i stand amazed and i think this is a perfect song because when we just take count of what we already have man we, we're amazed that you right now you if you trust in jesus you have confidence to enter you have clean hands and a pure heart you say, but Walt, you don't understand. I did some sinning yesterday. No, I understand because I did too. 
But the once and for all reality is that you have a clean hand, clean hands and a pure heart. So how do we live? How do we live? Today's Sunday and we feel really great. Like, man, awesome. I have confidence because of the blood, because of the covenant. I have a great high priest who stands over me, who never stands up when I sin. He always remains seated because of what he did 2,000 years ago. Man, this is awesome. Let us, let us, let us. Somebody's going to have a big salad this afternoon and be like, yes. But what about Monday? Right? Because Monday's coming. Tuesday. Wednesday, dreaded bath night on Friday or Saturday, whatever that is for you. What do we, how do we live then? When you see yourself or someone else not loving, not engaging in the things that we would call good, God's solution is not for them to be given reasons for fear or for distress. His call is, is for us to remember what we already have. So many of us believers are searching for forgiveness. We're looking for holiness. We're hunting for intimacy just around the corner. This next Bible study, this next this, this next that. Bible studies are great. They're wonderful. But we think that by doing them, we create something that we don't already have. But the reality is that we already have these because of the finished work of Jesus. There's no need to search, friends, for what we already have. So how shall we live? Here's an idea. Here's a thought. I'm going to throw this out there. What if we, in our coming together, became less passive and more active? What if we used our time on Sunday mornings and in our groups and in our casual times with each other over coffee to find someone that we know, maybe we don't know them, and we get together, we get to know them to encourage them, to remind them, to be used by the very Holy Spirit to reveal to them what they already have. We can do this organically. I meet with a couple guys for breakfast on Saturday mornings. It's very organic. But we can also do this by joining in with one of our ministry teams, by some of our community groups, which will really get going this fall when we come back from summer break. Our hospitality teams, our setup teams, our band, we exist to encourage each other in the finished work of Christ. Journey Kids, our new youth ministry, what perfect places to encourage young minds, young hearts in what they already have in Jesus once they start believing in Him. And Journey Kids and the new youth ministry, look, we gather them all together and we put them in a table and we just say, hey, you, go encourage them. Go share with them what they already have. Remember T-ball? It's like we played the ball on the tee and we're just saying, swing, baby, swing. We're putting them together for you to encourage. So whether it's organic or whether it's more formal in one of our teams, what if we took time with each other to remind each other of what we already have and watch that stimulate love and good works. What if we live tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday in absolute amazement of what we already have? We're such a commercially driven society and we're always thinking about what's the next thing to get and all I'm just trying to say is, say, let's slow down and let's just look at what we already have because it's more than enough. I'm going to pray for us and 
We'll stand up and we'll sing this song and I'll come up and I'll close this out. But if you never, if you've not started trusting in Jesus, look, then you don't have this. If you don't trust in Jesus, then you don't have confidence to enter into the Holy of Holies. You have no confidence because you don't have his blood sprinkled on your heart, if you will. You're still in Adam. And the great gospel, the beauty of the gospel is if you but trust in Jesus and what he's done for you, then you go from being in Adam to now being in Christ. So if you don't trust in Jesus, then you don't have any what we just talked about. But if you believe in Jesus, then you do. You say it's just by believing in Jesus. Well, it's, it's, it's a lot that goes into believing in Jesus. But all I'm calling on you is to look at what he's done, look at him and say, you know what, that what he's done is better than what I could do. And so I transfer my trust from what I can do in my own self-generated confidence to what he has done. That, my friends, is called faith. It's called believing in Jesus. And we are all called to believe in him. So let's go ahead and stand. I'm going to pray for us. And if you have questions about believing in Jesus, you have questions about the finished work of Jesus, I'll be standing over here. If you want to come and talk, feel free to. Um, if you want to talk this week over coffee or breakfast or whatever, let me know. Maybe that would be a better environment for us to chat, and I would love to. I do it all, all week long. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for Hebrews because it reminds us, well, it declares to us and then continues to remind us of what we have. And so many of us, myself included, spend so much time walking around the office, the house, looking for something that we're holding up to our ear. God, wake us up. Open our eyes to see what we have. We have the very righteousness of Christ. We have been given union with you. We have, because of the blood of Jesus, confidence to now be in your presence right now to dwell in the house of the Lord, the very thing that David longed for, we have. So Father, let us walk in it. Let it stimulate us for, to love and to, to walk in these good deeds that you have foreordained for us to walk in. The fruit of the Spirit. Christ Himself. Let us live in the reality of what we have. Our neighbors and the nations need to see a church that believes the gospel, that believes what we already have. Our neighborhoods, Crozet needs a church that believes what you've done. Let us be that church. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's one thing to look for your cell phone when you're already talking on it. Or look for your cup of water when you're already drinking it. But it's another thing to look for the very things that he's given us when we already have it. Let's stop. Can we do that? Can we just stop? Stop looking for the very things he's already given us. Let's just live in them. Let's live in them. Thank you for listening to this message from Life Journey Church. Feel free to distribute this podcast, but please do not charge for it or alter it in any way. For more information about Life Journey Church, visit us at www.lifejourneyva.com.